we are all entitled to sexual health, just as much as physical and mental health. We want to make it easier for folks to find resources. However they engage with us, there's no wrong door. So it's important that people are able to get access to care that is affirming. Talking about what their sex life is, about their concerns, and to make sure they're healthy. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your sexual health matters. Visit doitforyoumc.org. So Luther... I think gave us the formula for how to handle these things. It's you stand on scripture alone and let the chips fall where they may. We're on the we're on the same side. We may disagree on, on certain theological issues, yeah, but, I, but I, we're I, on I the same not, side. Not no, not at all. And, and look how nice we are each other. Yeah. No, I enjoy this and uh, appreciate all you do out there for the Lord. Yeah. It's like you know what? What are you doing? You're spending all your time trying to destroy another Christian that you don't understand what's going on when you should be out there winning people for Jesus. Uh, we're not supposed to be lion sheep. We're supposed to be Koreans. And so just to, no matter who it is, this goes for everybody. Um, you're, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of yours. I'm a big fan. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's true. I, I love watching you and I love hearing what you have to say. And I think you're a, a great blessing to the body of Christ. Okay, welcome everybody to this week's episode of Conversations with Jeff. I'm really excited. We've got John Harris joining us this week. And uh, welcome to the show, John. I'm glad we could sit down and have this conversation. Thank you, Jeff. Looking forward to it. Yeah, definitely. And so um, I, you know, really love to uh, be able to hear your testimony before we dive into some of the, you know, issues that we're seeing in the church today. But just that way people get to, get a chance to know you and uh, that way, and then we'll dive into some of the issues we're seeing. Yeah, you know, I, I was raised in a Christian household. My dad's a pastor, so um, theolo- theological education was there from when I was very young. I received Christ when I was six years old, was baptized the same year, and then experienced, like a lot of kids raised in the church, doubts until I was probably about 14 or 15. Um, I, there was a moment when I realized it wasn't my decision that saved me, it was Christ, and, uh, and, and that gave me a lot of assurance. And from that point forward, I think there was just a lot more spiritual growth and seriousness on my part. I uh, went to college, uh, got involved with the Bible study there before, you know, it wasn't too long, and I was helping to lead it, which, you know, it's kind of the story of my life. I'll joke that I'll get involved in something, and I just want to, like, take a support role or, or just be involved in the background, but somehow, you know, one thing leads to another, and I'm, like, in charge. So um, I, I never wanted to be a pastor, but here I am leading a Bible study in a very hard-to- um, you know, for a Christian, at least, to deal with environment with a lot of secularism. I mean, the campus wasn't really being uh, nice to our Christian group either, and I had to navigate that. And I just realized, you know, I, I love people. Um, people are giving me feedback saying that what I'm doing is blessing them. And so I started becoming more open to the idea of getting involved in ministry. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm not going to do ministry. I, I'm still against that. But just being a leader in the church, leading a Bible study, I should probably get some theological education. So I went to a master's seminary for a semester. I um, did this during the economic downturn, so I couldn't find a good job. I came back home. I, I did some online courses and then eventually transferred to Southeastern where I got my MDiv. And in that time, I just uh, realized that I think I, I am actually called to do a ministry of some kind. And um, uh, one of the things about doing ministry in the Northeast, which is where I wanted to go, uh, was being bivocational. So having two jobs is really an important thing. There's just not a lot of evangelicals. It's like less than 2% in the county where my house is. And and so I thought, well, I'll I'll get a tent-making job. And I love college ministry. And, you know, I had done furniture repair for years, but I really wanted to have a job where I could interact with college students and kind of use that in conjunction with church revitalization or planting. So um, so right now I'm actually pursuing a graduate degree in history, so I have that, and uh, I don't know what the future holds, but I'm looking at getting involved in ministry more, 
and you know, Lord willing, in the Northeast, and uh, as well as teaching, hopefully, uh, just even as an adjunct, you know, at a community college or something, that's fine with me. But uh, we'll mm-hmm. see what plans the Lord has. So that's my story in brief. Yeah. Now, now, what what led you to get into more of, let's say, the the online, you know, let's say, influencing world in the sense of like you've got your podcast and you know you're on social media, pretty active and that sort of thing. What led you to kind of wanting you to go down that route? Yeah, in my home, there were three identities that we had, uh, American, Harris, which is our family name, and Christian. And I kind of, when I didn't want to do ministry, I gravitated towards that American identity. And I couldn't join the military because of health reasons, but I, I wanted to get involved in politics. And I did some internships. I became disillusioned with the political world. Uh, but it was during that time, I think I was probably in my late teens that I started a blog and I just started writing down some of my thoughts on political matters. And of course I was conservative and, um, and I, I love politics. I loved history. And, uh, I, I kept doing that here and there. I mean, there's sometimes there's like a gap, you know, on my blog, like, Oh, he didn't write for like a year or two. And then I'll come back to it and be a little more active. So, uh, you know, usually I think most people, if they get something stuck in their craw, if they're upset about something, they'll go write. And uh, I think there was probably a lot of times, you know, not that I was writing out of anger, but I was like, oh, people need to know this. This perspective isn't being presented, so I'm going to go write something. Um, but it didn't really get like a lot of play uh, until January of this year. And that's when um, it was really actually late December. I decided, you know, I'd like to do a podcast. It's easier because I'm talking instead of writing uh, in, in a sense. And people seem to watch stuff more than they actually will read stuff in my generation which it, it honestly is sad in my mind, but yeah. um, that's just, you know, what we have. So I thought maybe I could be more influential if I do something that's uh, video and audio. And I had seen a couple guys in my age group doing that. And I thought, well, I'll just give it a try. And um, I decided to call it conversations that matter because it was just things that mattered to me. I was like, oh, this is, I want to talk to people and talk about topics that actually, um, you know, I was thinking of like the, someone on social media who puts a picture of like what they ate that afternoon. And I was like, oh no, I don't want, I want that. I want something that matters. And that was right. all the only intention I had. Um, so actually my first episode this year was on hiking and getting fit and stuff. And, um, and that, it hasn't been that way since it's been like social justice, the second episode on, because, um, I had premeditatingly decided, after I was done with Southeastern, I was going to um, post a video about my experience there. I didn't think it would get the play it got, but my intention was I I had talked to a number of people I respected, uh, even at the school, even professors, and I, I just thought, you know, students need to know what they're getting into because they're not really presenting this. When I went to Southeastern, when I, when I was presented with, here's our campus, they didn't talk about some of the things that were actually going on on campus in regards to um, the social justice movement. And I, I thought people need to know that they're getting into this. And, you know, some people will watch my video and probably think, oh, that's great. I, I like social justice. That's fine. But if you're someone like me who didn't want to get into that and just wanted to know the Bible and what it said, then um, I think you should at least be informed. And the doors were pretty much closed to me on campus as far as um, disagreeing with what was happening. And, and even respectful dialogue, uh, if you're disagreeing, wasn't really uh, it, the doors just really weren't open for that. And I explained a little bit of that in the video, but I, I put out this video and, um, next thing I know it's in this little, you know, niche market of this reformed world, I guess it, it starts to go viral. And so people that, uh, are, um, looking at apologetics and theology are, are reposting this and they're, um, and other influencers are, are passing it around. And so I'm being asked to do interviews and, um, I just got all this attention, all sorts of people inside the institution and other institutions are reaching out saying, thank you so much for saying what you said. I can't say it, but we're glad you did. And I thought the Lord is using this. And there's some other things that providentially, I don't want to wax long on this, but there was just some really interesting scenarios that happened that showed me, okay, God is using this. And I have a little bit of an audience now. I want to be faithful since I have some attention to um, steer people in the right direction. And so I started doing more videos, uh, that fine tuned, um, my critique of social justice. And now it's like, I'm, you know, helping out with this enemies within the church movie and I'm speaking at events for that. And, um, you know, I, I know all all sorts of people I didn't know before. And, um, so I'm going to continue this for this season in life, at least I I don't want to do it. It it honestly takes it out of you. I don't really want to do this forever, but 
uh, for now because it is such an important thing and it's a threat. And I just don't see people addressing this uh, leaders the way that I, I think it should be addressed um, in this, all circumstances. I will you know, continue to do that for at least a little while. So, yeah, <laughs> that was a yeah. long answer. But. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. I mean, you know, I think I think that, you know, when we're when we're talking about social justice and we're looking at the kind of the landscape, I feel like there's kind of a wide range of there's a wide range of people within the social justice crowd. But there's also a wide range of people in the anti-social justice crowd. Yeah. Um, so what what's let's take it from the start. Like, What's your main concern with the social justice movement in general? Yeah, I mean, obviously, the gospel is the most important thing, which we want to make sure is protected and um, passed down uh, to our children, spiritual children, uh, you know, biological children. And um, to me, that the social justice movement is a threat directly to the gospel. I think it's a threat to other things as well. I think the social fabric is threatened by social justice. But um, I talk about both of these things. But I, I think fundamentally, uh, the social justice movement is introducing concepts into scripture that, when applied consistently in scripture, will lead to um, the tampering with fundamental core doctrines like repentance. Uh, you know, what does forgiveness actually look like? Um, what is sin? And, and, and these are some of the things that I'm concerned about. So, I mean, I can flesh that out for you, but that's my motive. Mm-hmm. Now, 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 because I because I feel like a lot of people on the social justice side, they would say, okay, so if why do you think that this is a threat to the gospel? Because all we're trying to do is we're trying, is we're trying to help people. You know, yeah. like what what would be your response to somebody like that? Yeah, well, you know, every you know, good intentions are associated with just about every cause that's in political history. There's always some someone with a good intention. So. Um, I understand that, and I understand that uh, there are some in this movement, and I made this clear many times, who are uh, false teacher status, I think, that are really, this is the, the lens through which they look at everything, including the gospel, and they don't really have the gospel. I mean, First John talks about if you hate your brother, the love of God is not in you, and I just see a lot of hatred from some, some of the more, uh, if I want to say radical or extreme, I guess, you know, elements in this. Um, then there are those and this is the vast majority of people probably who are just kind of along for the ride and they hear something that sounds good. They haven't thought through it. They might not have the tools to be able to analyze it and they're just going to go along with it because they're nice people and it sounds nice. And so um, I would address these two different groups differently. Probably if I just didn't know though, or someone stood on it, I would probably ask them questions to just figure out where they landed within those groups. Uh, so, so to get to the core of what you just asked though, um, you know, something like repentance, which is very fundamental to the gospel, we find uh, in Scripture that it's, it's a once-for-all thing. It, you know, Christ um, accomplishes it for us, and it's, it's of our personal sin. And in the social justice paradigm, uh, we look at sins very corporately and generationally. So um, if you're going to apologize and repent for something, it's something not necessarily even that you did. You could just be the beneficiary in someone's mind of a system that, you know, your great grandparents or it might not even be yours, but someone set up and, and you're sinful because you're in this system. And we don't see that category in scripture. And then to repent of that, um, it's something that you have to basically prove yourself through penance. You have to uh, support all these left leaning uh, positions to prove that you're a nice person and uh, and you're not really truly ever forgiven. You have to keep <laughs> proving that. You know, you're 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 uh, um, upset about the fact that you're white or uh, in some cases straight or a man. And uh, and so, you know, that's just that's just one thing. But, you know, the concept of um, forgiveness, when is forgiveness given and, and who is to to whom is forgiveness? Oh, do I, uh, you know, because of something my great great grandfathers might have done, should I apologize to a social group or is that something that, you know, is between me and God? You know, biblically speaking. Uh, you know, forgiveness happens uh, because God is the one that forgives you unless you've actually personally wronged someone. And so, you know, it's just, I mean, I could go on and I don't want to wax long about it, but it's like at every turn in the gospel story, there is a parallel in the social justice paradigm and it's uh, contradictory. It's diametrically opposed to what we see in scripture. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. And, and it's, and it's one of those things where I find that, um, well, okay, let, let me back up a little bit. My friend, Sam Jones, uh, he, he always says that the reason why this is compromising the gospel from his perspective is that, um, basically it is, it's focusing on the, the wrong victimhood in the sense of our sin is, is what caused Christ to die on the cross. You know, if, if we weren't sinning, he wouldn't be there. So essentially he's the victim of our sin as opposed to us looking at it, whereas we think that we're the victim for sin and that we need to be saved because we're victims as opposed to us being the oppressors because we are all sinful. And so from that perspective, it's, it's kind of like it's one of those things where whichever way you look at it, the gospel is being compromised. Now, the question is, how do how do you think a lot of these pastors that are promoting social justice don't realize that? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, there's obviously a wide range there. Uh, you have uh, pastors who, well, I think for a lot of them, they've been raised in such a way that they've been conditioned to already think this way about civic affairs. They, they don't have a full, fully orbed biblical understanding of how to apply the Bible to political or cultural issues. Um, so concepts like white privilege, uh, political correctness, being woke, uh, just liberal politics, feminism, um, the egalitarian equality, uh, you know, all this stuff is already kind of hardwired into people by default. So by the time they get to seminary and they're learning how to read the Bible, uh, and, and especially if you have a professor who's already uh pushing these ideas, it's not that hard to just go along with that because that's what you've heard your whole life in your public education. So um, I, I, I really think, and I'm giving the benefit of the doubt here, there's just a lot of people who haven't thought through it and they've just absorbed what the culture around them is telling them about these things. Uh, there are others who I think have thought through it and they know exactly what they're doing and, uh, and that's ripping apart society. They want to create an open society. But um, the majority, I think, are probably in that first uh, group. Yeah. So, yeah. And, yeah. you know, it, it, what's interesting is I feel like or look, looking at the the progression, you know, there was the emerging church where it seemed like a lot of the social justice stuff kind of, is kind of rooted in at right. least within Christianity. Um, and that was kind of seeding, seeding, building up, building up. And then it kind of like imploded. Right. Sure. But then it's, it seems like out of nowhere within the reform community it just exploded a couple of years ago and it's taken over pretty much most of the reform community to a certain degree. Yeah. I mean, how, how do you think, how do you think that they were able to do it that quickly to where it seems like it's holding on? Yeah. It's a combination of a few things and, and I might not have uh, the, the best answer on it. Um, I know there are those at high levels who know a lot more about, kind of where certain money streams came from to fund different organizations and projects and, and that kind of thing. But, uh, but I, I do know at least enough to know that um, there is some bad money. There, there are some liberal groups that uh, want to make sure the church, you know, like the evangelicals went, what was it, about 90% or so for Donald Trump, 88%. Uh, they want to make sure that doesn't happen again. And so there are... Um, a lot of organizations that are funding efforts uh, to make, whether they're embarrassed or they just, you know, want to make sure evangelicals aren't associated with the Republican Party. They're trying to get us away from that. So, so you have this political angle and this kind of monetary angle. Uh, and groups like Gospel Coalition um, uh, take money from some of this stuff. I know um, I, I don't want to get too involved in this because I, I know there's guys that um, for the enemies within the church movie who have a lot of information they're going to disclose once that documentary is done. But I know we have talked about uh, like current family foundation, economy and network, uh, Acton Institute, uh, even open uh, societies, Soros front group funding Russell Moore uh, events that, that Russell Moore is that and things. So there's this kind of stuff. Then you have, um, I think the prepping of this, uh, if I want to, you know, if we want to call it that, you have this kind of rebellion against the American dream and materialism. And th this, I think, sowed the seed. So during the emergent church uh, episode, they just went too far too fast, I think. They did not, um, they weren't a political uh, group either. They were 
they weren't reacting to anything that evangelicals found disgusting, like Donald Trump, right? Like his personal mm-hmm. life. We, that's something that you can look at and say, oh, that's that's not right. And then, hey, here's the alternative and people can go that. The emergent church never had that. They just, they were for something and they were for postmodernism and it was philosophical. It wasn't like boots on the ground. So the simple, you know, someone who's a layman didn't really understand it completely. So it was these kind of philosophical discussions. And in that in that in that group, it kind of got tossed out. But this movement um, appeals to the layman more so, uh, I think, and especially the young, uh, soon-to-be pastor who really wants to be a community organizer as well and make a difference. Like this, just gives them tools to be able, in their minds, uh, to do it. And because they've already kind of they read David Platt and they they looked at John Piper, and not that these guys are completely like you know, on the extreme elements of the social justice movement, but they would like trash the American dream and say that we're too materialistic. Um, I was at a conference once. I couldn't believe what I heard, but John Piper said, buying a new car is a sin. And I was like, what? (laughs) Yeah. You know, buying a new car, Um, which I think is that there's just an ignorance of how the market economy works at that point, probably. But, uh, but David Platt, you know, if you read like radical, I think that really kind of started this idea that we, we need to, um, sort of empathize with the downtrodden and that means giving up all our stuff and if you notice millennials are much more that they spend the same amount of money but it's much more experience driven so we're going to pay for an experience but we don't accumulate stuff as much as our parents did and that's just stuff is evil and um and that was it was american that's what americans did and and so i think when that was vilified it sowed the seeds to uh, forward to kind of create this political movement against that. You know, um, capitalism really isn't a good thing because, hey, it just gives us stuff and it makes us materialistic and we don't want that. Uh, so it, there's just so many things coming together here, honestly. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to, I mean, the, the one other thing I would mention, so, you know, the political, the money um, against the American dream. Uh, but the other thing um, that I mentioned is there's a pragmatism here, just like the seeker sensitive church. Uh, I had a friend who was a donor for the Southeastern Society for Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. And last year, the provost told them all, we're losing numbers in the SBC. And they look at the demographic. Oh, it's, it's white men in, in rural areas mostly. We're going to replace these numbers by now appealing to minorities and women. And we're going to you know, save the Southern Baptist Convention. And so there's this pragmatic way to uh, look at it as well. I think it's all three um, kind mm-hmm. of working in tandem. So. Yeah, it's it's really interesting how it you know just from the way you're describing it a little bit there it seems like there's direct parallels with how it is within politics. It's like similar strategies. It's similar like thinking, okay, let's appeal to certain groups in order to get the votes, or oh, yeah. in this in this case, put people in churches. You know, it's really interesting how how for for there being such a push against especially conservatives being involved in politics, how they're adopting those same political strategies. Oh, yeah, it's completely political and pragmatic. I mean, I, that's that's what I saw in my seminary experience, at least. Yeah, it's very um, focused on numbers. And uh, I mean, <laughs> there's this uh, uh, initiative at the school I went to called the Kingdom Diversity Initiative. And it's almost it, it's funny. It's sad, but it's funny. If you go to their website and you scroll down to the bottom, they have this graph and they have all the numbers of like who they're bringing into the school. That's not white and a man. And uh and the different, and it's it's a couple of years old, I think, because they probably haven't had the best numbers maybe the last few years. I don't know, but right. it's, you look at this and it looks pathetic. You're like, why are you even concerned about this? But I, I think that's honestly what concerns a lot of the folks at the top levels is like, okay, finances, and finances means people. You need to have a, a base to fund your institution. So yeah. Now, yeah. now, when you were kind of explaining your 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 experience in seminary and that sort of thing, what, what were some what were some of the main things that you feel like were being pushed on you uh, that was pro social justice, where some where somebody could be looking into it and saying, okay, this is how these seminaries are training up these Christian pastors and leaders to push this kind of ideology. Yeah, I did a um, I helped do this actually. I kind of put it together. Some others helped me. Uh, as well. But we did a um, 38 page document with it was distilled from hundreds of pages of transcripts and um, articles that came out of the seminary. Uh, And 
we tried to show, okay, like here's what's going on. And you, you'll find things like um, at Southeastern right now, I think the anti-white issue is the, probably the biggest one. I mean, there, there's some articles that were talking about. There was one that uh, was positive about the Revoice Conference. There was one that um, there's a few feminist stuff, but mostly right now at Southeastern, it's liberation theology, critical race theory. So, uh, you know, there was <laughs> there were talks on the campus uh, and that uh, library talks, uh, talks that Kingdom University uh, sponsored mostly that, um, you know, one of the speakers said, if you're white, you should not adopt a minority child uh, because, you know, you're not going to be able to give them the life that they, they really should be with their own people kind of thing. Um, if you're white, you should give up the idea of ever pastoring a church that's diverse. It's just not going to happen. Um you know, they had this lynching uh, seminar thing at, at the library talk. They called it maybe, I don't know, a month and a half, two months ago now. And, um, I mean, there's just some extreme stuff that are said uh, in that talk. But, you know, the, the modern, if you want to look at how the legacy of lynching affects us today, we'll look no further than Donald Trump and the border crisis, because uh, being against illegal migration is the same as lynching someone. I mean, these are the kind of things that are being said, and it, and I'm just picking stuff out of the hat. Like, there's a lot more stuff in that document. Uh, when I was on campus, I th- th- this is mostly stuff that happened, I think, since I left, and, and I left um, man, about a year ago now. Uh, but when I was on campus, um, it was kind of just getting started. Uh, the first year that I was back at Southeastern was 2017, and uh, during that year, there were three statements that professors had signed various prominent professors uh, and the president on that were against Donald Trump or the alt-right three mm-hmm. and during eight years of Obama I can't remember one <laughs> there was not one uh, article or, or statement that any of them that, that I can remember um, but you had you had that you had um, you know I remember the uh, uh, vice I think he's the vice president of diversity Walter Strickland at the seminary put out a, an article uh, on he basically says that Hillary is kind of the lesser of the two evils. And so this stuff was already starting. And I think when Donald Trump was campaigning and then elected, I think that was what that something like snapped when that happened. And there was just a lot more of that. But, uh, but the monument controversy was big in North Carolina. They had whole chapels against the Confederate flag articles against the monuments. We've got to take those down. There were, there was a, a luncheon for supporting the kneelers at the football games. I remember, uh, and I mean, it's stuff that you just didn't think you would even like, why would I have to know this to be in seminary? But those became like front and center topics. And every time I go to my student account to sign in, there would be an article like right next to it that the school would put there in their Twitter feed or I don't remember if it was Instagram, whatever it was. And yeah, a lot of times it was social justice related. You know, the eight eight things that you know, may uh, show that you're actually racist when you don't know that you are or something. You click on it. It's like, oh, right. wow, I didn't realize I'm in a middle class neighborhood. I must be racist. So <laughs> it, it, it was it was that kind of thing that um, chapel messages that, that I encountered um, when I was there. I think uh, the temperature's been turned up a little bit on some of that. Um, I think in the last, though, few months, it started to turn down a little. And uh, so it, it ebbs and flows. But um but yeah, like <laughs> Donald Trump, I think, tends to I, I really think that a lot of this is correlated with him and statements he makes and stuff. You know, he says something, people get upset. It's like, oh, let's do a bunch of stuff to combat what he did. So. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, it, it seems like, you know, I feel like for, for a lot of people, there definitely are concerns with Trump and in his sure. behavior and the way he carries himself and that sort of thing. But at a certain point, it's kind of like. OK, you may we may agree on certain aspects of the problem, but it seems like you're coming at it from a completely wrong solution, which is going completely far left, completely progressive, which is one of the right. things I, I never would think that we would have seen within the evangelical church where the guys that traditionally have been conservative seem to be going more progressive. And it just that's mind boggling. I mean, you know. Not to name too many specifics, but like I never thought that Al Mohler, who I grew up going to Shepherd's Conference and seeing him speak and him always being one of my favorite speakers at Shepherd's Conference, is, you know, helping to push some of these guys. Absolutely. Yeah, me too. Um, there's, that's probably the most common question I get from people is, you know, where's Al Mohler at? And I mean, I don't know him personally. I met him a few times. Um, he wouldn't know who I Well, maybe he would now. I don't know. Yeah. But, um <laughs> 
you know, there's different theories about what could be happening. And I, I think they all boil down to this. I've, I've talked to guys that have been on his inner circle and stuff, and I've, I've heard all sorts of things, things that even contradict one another. But I think th- this is kind of where I land at this point. Either Al Mohler is on our side of this issue and he sees the problems with this and he's powerless to do anything about it. So he's got forces bigger than him that are keeping him from it, in which case he's not really in control. Or he's not on our side. He's on the other side of the issue. Um, I don't really see another option. It's got to be one of those two uh, because it it just, you know, some people have been telling me he's in transition. That one doesn't make any sense to me either, though. He's a brilliant man. He's known Mm -hmm. about all these things. How could he be, you know, we're over a year after MLK 50 now, and he's just now starting to think that, well, maybe some of this stuff is a little too much. It makes no sense. Uh, Right. So, you know, he, he could be an opportunist. I guess maybe that's a third option. Uh, he's just kind of waiting to see kind of where the, the chips uh, fall so he can uh, make sure that he keeps his position and everything. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I keep coming down to those two things. And, and I don't know. I, I, I really hope it's the fact that he's – I hope he's just powerless and he really is against it. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know. I, I wish I did. Um, yeah. Well, you know, like like – when when you're looking at like the gospel coalition, it you know you, I feel like most of us within the evangelical reform community traditionally we've seen somebody like Tim Keller and we're like okay red flag constantly right, but the, but then you've got all these guys that are on the board of the gospel coalition alongside him and it just seems like nobody nobody at least in the upper levels of let's say the hierarchy within Christianity seems to have any concerns about that. It's like, we're just going to look the other way. Like that, that, that to me is another thing that's just mind boggling to me of why are we partnering with Tim? Yeah. Bell? Yeah. There's a lot of associations um, that people are afraid to break for whatever reason, like they're sacred somehow. I, I don't know how we got to this point. Exactly. There, there seems to be an attitude that to speak out against uh, someone who's, a celebrity pastor or just a, a Christian speaker, like that's tantamount to, um, you know, uh, I guess being disrespectful somehow to like your, your pastor back home, your personal pastor. Like, and, and it's, you know, these guys are saying things publicly that are going out to a broad audience and they're doing that on purpose. So to respond publicly is perfectly appropriate, but people don't really want to do that. So there's a lot of, I think, back room meetings a lot of secret meetings that are going on. So and I know there's a lot of people who don't agree with this on the top levels, but they're being kind of pushed along and they're afraid for whatever reason to um, come out publicly and really take a stand. There's a few that are, but, you know, mostly the guys you see doing it are pretty independent. You know, like a James White can kind of like he's got donations coming in from people. So he's right. not like, you know, he's doesn't rely on a convention or an institution, but the guys who do, I think are deathly afraid of losing their jobs and they got families to support. And, uh, and the intimidation is real. And I can tell you that from my own personal experience, um, mm-hmm. with even talking to professors and stuff, the, the intimidation is real. They, they do not want to lose their position for critiquing it. Um, so, so yeah, it's like walking on eggshells for, for some of these guys. And I think the more public they are, the more they're going to draw attention and, you know, the, the more chances that they'll get fired. Uh, so, yeah, there's some pushback happening, I think, but it's just not visible, unfortunately, yeah. to us. So, yeah. Now, no, one of the things that I've been I've been noticing and it's something I've, I've been kind of wrestling with myself. And so I'd be interested to kind of get your perspective on it. But it seems like from the anti-social justice guys, so the guys that are pushing back against it. There seems to be this push for, I don't like almost like non-engagement in the sense of whether it's political or just in general of, you know, it's like saying these guys over here, the social justice, they've gone too far. They're taking things to socialism and that sort of thing. So our response should be just sit back and pray and let God (laughs) kind of control things like what what should be the biblical response to social justice, but also just in general with being active within a lot of these issues? Yeah, that's a good question. And that's funny because that is the number one, I'd say, response that I get if I ever say anything on this issue. I get comments saying, uh, from the other side, most of the comments are overwhelmingly positive, but from people on the other side, they're like, hey, we think the gospel applies to all of life. 
or the, the Bible applies to politics or something. And you don't believe and I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, that's been my motive from the beginning is I think the Bible does apply to these things. I just don't think you're using the Bible. I think you're using these other categories and then smuggling them into scripture. So um, it, it's interesting, though, because there are some guys that they can point to and say, well, look, they don't apply the Bible to politics or they're like anti-political and they're against social justice, just like you said. And I, I don't want to name names right this second. A lot of these guys are allies in a sense mm-hmm. uh, to the cause. But, yeah, you know, I can I can see some pastors and others that they pointed to and I can look at their track record and say, OK, yep. Um, you know, maybe when the religious right was more uh, influencing things, they were speaking out against that on the basis of we should just be preaching the gospel and that's not really right. Uh, we're supposed to make disciples of the nations, teaching them what Christ uh, taught us. So, you know, which includes more than uh, even just what Christ said in the Gospels. This would include the apostolic message and uh, the principles in the Old Testament. So, so, so these things do need to be taught. Um, I think, you know, there's some guys that have been really critical of the social justice movement who are consistent in that. And that would be like um, the guys behind this movie enemies within the church. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're actually laying a lot of the blame for this at the feet of antinomianism and pietism and, and this idea that the church should retreat from that era and na- nature abhors a vacuum. So in walks, you know, Marxism. Right. Uh, you, I think, uh, you know, Jeff Durbin and those guys, the apology church guys, they're doing the same thing. They think, okay, the Bible should be applied to the civil realm. Um, but, uh, and I believe that, but yeah, you know, there is kind of like a two sides of a coin on this opposition to the movement. Um, and, and people have phrased it differently. Some people say it's a, a one kingdom, two kingdom thing. Others say, well, you know, you're either a, you're a, a pietist or you're, um, I, I don't know what the opposite of pietist would be, I guess, but, yeah. um, there's all these labels that are flying around. And, um, you know, I think the, the real root issue though is like, okay, do you believe the law of God has something to say to someone who's a politician? I think on that question can, can hinge this whole thing. Like if, you, if you're elected to office, what would you do? <laughs> would you just, you're a Christian. So wouldn't you apply the law of God? If you believe that, then, you know, you're, you're never, really not, uh, at least in the negative sense of pietism, which is the label that's been thrown around a lot, you're not that. You do believe the Bible should be applied. And I, I think if we were to talk to some of our brothers and sisters who, uh, think we should just preach the gospel and we were to ask that question, I, I think maybe they would start connecting the dots and say, okay, you're right. The law of God does apply. Um, and that would be my hope at least. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and it's one, and it's one of those things where we are, we are still linking arms with, you know, some of these guys that, um, that are kind of teaching this, you know, kind of gospel only perspective. So we are allies in that sense yeah. against this big social justice movement. It's just it's just one it's one of those things where, you know, maybe after we, you know, hopefully destroy the social justice movement. It's 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 definitely a conversation that I think I think we we should be having within the church. Oh, yeah, we should have it now. I mean, we don't have to wait. Um, Yeah. The thing is, because social justice is a threat to the gospel, we can link arms with them because that's Mm -hmm. the level on which we are in agreement when it comes to. Um, the other concern that I have, which is that social justice will destroy the very fabric of society and replace it. Uh, that's where we might diverge and we might have to have a conversation because they may not be as concerned with that. Like, who cares? That's just the world. That's just society. Well, I don't know. I have children that you know are going to be raised in this society, so I kind of care. You know, So that's where I think we, we can have the conversation. But yeah, right now, the biggest threat is the gospel. So we link arms. Yeah. Yeah. Now, 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 what, what would you say to some people? Because I know there's been some people that have said that the social justice movement is a fad, just like the emerging church, just like, you know, seeker no. sensitive, just like whatever it is. Yeah, that's all wrong, I think, unfortunately. Yeah. That, that's completely wrong. Um, number one, the emergent church was not as influential as the woke church. Uh, there's a lot more books, a lot more, just, I don't care how you want to stack up the comparison, but audio presentations, video presentations, online presence, websites, conferences, whatever, you you know, there's more people, there's more numbers. Um, Number two, and more importantly, this is a political operation within the church. The emergent church was not a political operation. Political operations have more longevity. 
And in fact, um, I tweeted this to Phil, Phil Johnson, I, I think retweeted something that I tweeted and I actually uh, tweeted that to him and I was like, hey, you know, and I'm not sure if he, if he believes that this is just a fad. He may not. But I made that point. Uh, um, you know, uh, you know what it was? He had done an interview, I think, with Todd Friel and they were talking about the longevity of this. And I had you know, tweeted to him like, look, this is a political movement. It's a whole different animal. Yeah, there's there's a lot of funding behind political movements. There's a and, and it's easy to to keep the flames going because these issues don't go away. Um, yeah, so so I think it's here to stay uh, for a while. What's more likely to happen is you're going to have splits within denominations. Just, it's like the modernist controversy. I've said this before. This is the postmodernist controversy. It's the same thing. Uh, you're going to have institutions, the, the traditional ones uh, probably remain in the woke camp. And then you're going to have new institutions and new organizations forming uh, with those who don't agree with that. And you'll probably watch the woke camp steadily die, um, I would think. But again, it's political, so it might not completely die as fast. But yeah, that's what I see for the future, uh, potentially. There, there will be splits in the SBC. There has to be. I don't know how you, you know, either one side has to give in. I mean, unless Christ intervenes and the woke guys say, oh, we see the error of our ways. I think, you know, it, whether it's this year, it won't probably be this year, but next year or the year after, probably when they have a female who they want to insert as the president, there's going to be some kind of a exodus. So, yeah, yeah. which is which is interesting that when you think about it that that's ultimately what what it would come down down to that where it would be the the, the final straw i think to a certain yeah. degree uh but it, it's really interesting especially looking at the sbc where just like in the political just like in the political realm you know democrats and republicans are so polarized right now and yeah. i feel like there's that within the sbc as well where everybody's so polarized so then it's just a matter of at what point is it actually going to come to a head because there's a lot of fighting there's a lot of debating but it just seems like, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. At a certain point, they're just kind of keep clashing heads. Well, you, you see, you look at the um, conservative resurgence and the guys behind that, like Paige Patterson and Adrian Rogers and, uh, you know, the rest. They're, they're, they're from the World War II generation, essentially. Mm-hmm. They're a different breed. Uh, yeah. they, they don't take the nonsense that a lot of the guys today will take. And I, I say that with respect, but. Um, some of the guys that are on our side of this issue in the SBC are not, they're, they're friends with some of these guys. They, they have, I mean, some of this can, we can maybe praise a little bit because there's this patience there that, okay, you know, my, my Al Mohler's going to come around and Danny Aiken's going to come around and J.D. Greer's going to come around. We just got to give them time. We got to approach this gently. And meanwhile, uh, some of them, um, you know, especially think of Greer. You know, some of the things he says, he's not really approaching it gently. He's kind of just, boom, you know, in your face a little bit. But there's this, on the other side, there's this wanting to tiptoe and really, let's just really make sure they're gone before we have a funeral. And I don't think that would have happened in the 70s. You know, Paige Patterson and Adrian Rogers, they would have been like, no, that's not true. We're, we're going to go to war over this. And, and that may be one of the things that's making this breakup kind of... <laughs> It, the breakups already happened in my head, honestly. It's just a matter of like, you know, when is the final straw going to come? Um, so we're, we're prolonging this. Um, but, you know, I respect some of the guys that they just really want to hold out. They just want to make sure that everyone is truly on that woke uh, ship before they sail off. And I get it. Right. Uh, but, uh, but I think the race issue, the anti-white issue, that's a little harder for people to understand because racism is wrong, right? So mm-hmm. um, because it kind of pres- presents itself uh, that, you know, we're just against racism. Meanwhile, it's not what they're saying. Behind that is a whole bunch of, they've redefined racism and they've critical theory, it's liberation theology. But because the face of it is we're just against racism, it's hard to stand up to that for some of the guys, I think. Because they don't want to be seen as bigots, and it's you have to like explain it, and you have to you know it takes a while to explain the problems with critical theory. The the sex issue, so so having a woman, let's say, be the president of the SBC, it's a lot more easy to make a biblical case to a layman about that. Right. So you can just open up your Bible and like point to a verse, and you're you're not having a philosophical conversation about James Cone. Uh, you're actually, you know, showing, okay, this is what the Bible says about the role of women. Does this match? 
And, and I think that's why it would take something like that, because then the layman would revolt against it. They would see that this is a problem. Um, and it wouldn't just be, you know, the academics, uh, you know, leading that charge. So, yeah, um, I, I, unfortunately, that's the way it is. I mean, we, you and I probably, we know that, like, this is where the ship is leading. Like, and eventually it's going to be, and it's already is in some ways, the homosexuality and transgender issue is going to be front and center. Um, there's uh, Robert Oscar Lopez from Southwestern is convinced that that's the whole, this whole thing is just about that, that that's the telos of this. We're trying to get to that. Yeah. Uh, and, and we can see that we can see down the road and see, well, you just apply this to that category. That's where we're going. But, you know, the layman layman don't see that as much. And and uh, so, yeah, it'll take uh, Beth Moore, you know, when she's president of the Southern Baptist Convention to probably split it. Right. So. Right. Now, now, as, as we're kind of wrapping up a little bit, but like if if somebody's coming to you and they're like, okay, I'm starting to see this kind of in my church. And the reason why I'm kind of asking this is I feel like a lot of, a lot of how this has been infiltrating the church has been through the seminaries. It has been through the things where, like you're saying, the, the layman may not even see this until it's too late within their church. So right. if somebody's starting to see, okay, the pastor's quoting so-and-so who's promoting social justice, or there's little things that are kind of infiltrating in the church, what do you recommend that people do if it's not like they're in leadership, it's not like they're a pastor or an elder or whatever it is, what are they right. supposed to do? It's tough when you're a layman uh, and you don't have that authority, but um, you do need to talk to someone about it, right? So um, I think I look at the progression in Matthew 18. You got to approach them. You have to express your concern. Ask good questions. You know, think about it beforehand. Write down a couple of good questions that would help clarify where your pastor's at. Go ask them those questions. You know, maybe you misunderstood. Um, if they're promoting a teacher uh, that is on board with this stuff, you know, maybe go and share your concern and ask if the pastor agrees with this particular teacher's stance on those issues. Things have to be clear, though, obviously, first. Uh, I, I think if your pastor's on, if you, it's really confirmed that your the leadership at your church believes in social justice and, and the, you know, the oppressor oppressed category and corporate repentance and these kinds of things, and you're delving into heretical land at that point, and you need to get out. Um, but if they've just heard a couple of things and they think, well, it's not good to be racist, sexist, or mean to homosexuals, so um, I just want to be compassionate, and that's the only sense you get, well, it sounds like your pastor might not be as equipped as they should be, in which case, send them resources. I mean, there, there's some out there. I mean, I know you, you're putting together, uh, I mean, I think it's already out, that book, right? On uh, it'll, it'll be coming out into the summer, the social injustice book, yeah. Yeah, so, so, you know, you have that resource to, to look to. Um, I know that, you know, James White's put out whole episodes on this topic. You could send your pastor that. I know I've got stuff on my blog. Uh, you know, you can send him one of the videos that I've done on this. I have a video on how social justice parrots the gospel, and I just go through the parallels between the gospel and social justice and ask your pastor, like, what do you think about this? Uh, but, yeah, find find some resources and uh I think once the once your book comes out, I think once the enemies within the church film is out in the fall, I think there's going to be a lot more resources out there. Um, the one other thing I'd add is Sovereign Nations did an excellent conference in January. Bodie Bauckham and James White and Tom Askell and Tom Buck and I'm probably leaving someone out, but there's a bunch of those guys who did all sorts of lectures on this topic. Send them that. There's a yeah. there's one one web page with all those videos, and um, and you know it could just be ignorance. Ignorance is correctable. Mm -hmm. Now, now, do you do you feel like this battle is is winnable, or do you feel like it's just a matter of of holding on to what we've got? Well, we have the gospel, we have the Holy yeah. Spirit, and <laughs> Jesus. So, yeah, of course, it's winnable. Winnable, though, in what sense? In the the long term, we win, obviously, but in the short right. term, um, just looking at it from a political standpoint and a pragmatic standpoint, uh, it's going to be tough. Uh, because right now, millennials and the generation coming up behind them, I know there's all sorts of theories about, oh, they're more conservative. They're, I don't think they are. I think, if anything, they're going to be worse. And um, we're going to get socialism, I think, one way or the other. Uh, we already have you know, some of that. We, have, we already have some programs that are that way, but I think we're really going to probably get more full-fledged socialism. And um, it's, it's going to be rough because my generation and those younger than me are already – conditioned to think in socialistic terminology. So um, the church is going to have a hard job to to do. But uh, 
yeah, I mean, it's with the power of God, I think we can do it. Um, and uh, if experience teaches us anything about this, whenever the authority of Scripture is given up, which you have to do to fully adopt social justice, that denomination or organization will wither and die because no one wants to be part of an organization of a bunch of, you know, with a heritage of bigots and <laughs> sexists and racists. And, you know, if they don't believe the Bible in one area, why would they come to, you know, read the Bible on Sunday? And like, there's no point. So I, I think um, the, the organizations and centers that go that direction, their, their days are numbered uh, as yeah. it is. So, yeah, from yeah. that from that standpoint, we're going to be the last men left standing, I guess you could say. Right. Yeah, um, totally, totally makes sense. Now, uh, if people want to you know, follow you or check out your podcast or get some of those resources you were talking about, how, how can they do that? Yeah, you can go to uh, worldviewconversation.com, and I have pretty much everything there. So uh, I think, um, yeah, I think all the links are there. So you know, I'm on Twitter and all the rest of it, uh, YouTube, um, all any podcasting service that you use, all the links uh, should be there. Okay, cool. Definitely. So, yeah, I, I really appreciate you coming on. I'm glad we can kind of cover some of this yeah. stuff. I, I really feel like it's yeah. it's important just to kind of keep keep just keep talking about it because it's definitely something that's not going away right now. No, no, it's not. I appreciate what you're doing. I'm looking forward to uh, reading the book when it comes out. Yeah, definitely. Sounds good. I will definitely keep keep you in the loop. So, thanks right. so much, and really really appreciate you coming on. God bless. Bye now. You too. Bye. The holidays are a moment of togetherness and joy and a reminder of how tradition creates happy and fulfilled communities. Make this holiday season patriotic with a visit to National Harbor and its stunning new spirit park. Marvel at one of the largest American flags in the region and beautiful displays of American art. Make this holiday season the most meaningful of all at National Harbor. Learn more at nationalharbor.com dash spirit park. HIV is still an issue in Montgomery County. The more open we're able to talk about HIV, we treat it like any other health prevention. PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. People who are not HIV positive who may be at high risk for contracting the disease. This is a good choice for you. It's just a way for you to sort of take control and say, I'm going to do this to protect myself. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about PrEP, the HIV prevention medication. Visit doitforyoumc.org.